What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to help out with our Week 4 mailbag is my co-host, Charlie. And all of our subscribers, you guys know, you're familiar with Charlie, but as we try to expand our content this season, all of our other listeners will also become very familiar with her as well, as she continues to help us out on the shows that uh, that my longtime co-host, Curtis, cannot be on due to the demands that law school has put on his schedule. So Charlie will be with us a couple times a week throughout the season to help us on these mailbag shows and also our Picks of the Week show. But as is always the case, you guys loaded us up with a ton of great questions and comments. But first, in case you missed our last episode where we announced our new partnership with Overtime Media starting next week, you'll be able to once again listen to all of our content for absolutely free. We are really excited about this. We've been working on this for a while, waiting on this to to happen. We signed the contract, signed the deal last week. Uh, So you won't have to hear me plead for all of you to subscribe to our premium content, hopefully ever again. At least uh, that's the plan. The only slight catch is that you won't be able to listen to our podcast on SoundCloud or Podbean after this week. So starting next week, which means with the Notre Dame recap show, which would be next Monday show, I should probably have it up next Sunday night, but definitely by next Monday morning, the easiest place to find our podcast, if you are an iPhone user, an Apple user, will be on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, whatever you want to call it. That's probably the easiest place to find it. But for everyone else who does not have an iPhone or an iPad, you can find our podcast on Stitcher or the TuneIn app. So set a reminder to look for us on those platforms starting next week. And I don't mean to insult anyone there. I only say that set a reminder because I know I personally would have to set a reminder for myself because I just don't remember anything. So um, just want to make sure everyone knows where to find this starting next week. And I have been saying it on social media all day long, but I want to say it one more time here right now. We really appreciate all the kind words that have been directed our way regarding this new partnership with Overtime Media. And we do work hard to make this podcast something that you would all want to listen to. But the bottom line is, man, like we would just simply, very simply, not be in this position today if it was not for all of you guys out there that were willing to subscribe for our premium content over the last year to help us stay afloat as we tried to find a new distribution partner. We didn't know if it would happen. We were just doing everything that we could to stay afloat, to try to make this work out long term. And um, man, you guys were there for us. And we love and appreciate everyone who listens into our show, even if you never subscribe to the premium content. But all of you who were there to pick us up when it looked like we might actually have to close shop, like we really thought that was going to happen there right before the season last year, we really cannot thank you guys enough. And as, as cliche as that may sound, is 100% true. Um, and we did have a few questions from subscribers throughout the day, and I should have made this more clear yesterday. I just totally missed it. Uh, but you guys don't have to do anything with your subscriptions. We are in the process of canceling everyone's subscription, and we'll take care of all of that for you guys. All you have to do is keep listening on either Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. So we we'll try to make that as easy as we possibly can for you guys. But as for today's show, as I'm sure you can tell, undoubtedly, uh, I'm still not quite over this cold yet. I actually sound a lot worse than I feel. I don't feel great, but I sound a lot worse than I feel right now. Yesterday, or the recap show, I wasn't feeling great at all. My mind was all over the place. I was totally medicated. I still kind of am today, but uh, but I still wanted to give it a go for you guys today. I, I actually already lost my voice once today, uh, about two or three o'clock. Uh, I've got it back for now, and hopefully I can make it through the show. I'll, I'll definitely give it my best shot because with Notre Dame coming to town, this week is just quite simply too big to take the week off, cold or not. 
All right, so we've got a lot of questions to get to today. Let's go ahead and open up this mailbag. Charlie, take it away. Well, the Notre Dame week is finally upon us, and a lot of our questions are centered around that game, so we're going to start there. Our first question is from Jamie. He asks, can you break down Notre Dame's pass rush with Isaiah Wilson, and if he isn't back from injury, what about without him at right tackle? Well, obviously it's going to be a little better with Isaiah Wilson. He's the, he's the clear starter from day one. He was there all, all year last year. He's got the potential to be an All-American type player. I don't know if he's there yet, but he has that potential. So obviously, even though we got five-star after five-star behind him, we are better off with Isaiah Wilson. I'm hoping to God he's back 100% this week. But if you're looking at that pass rush, there's three guys you've got to look at. you got Julian Aquara, who was kind of their leader as a pass rusher last year. He had 21 hurries, eight sacks, and 12 and a half tackles for loss on the year in 2018 for Notre Dame. And then Dalen Hayes is a guy who we heard a lot about leading up to that game in South Bend in 2017. It didn't quite work out for him that year like a lot of Notre Dame fans were hoping, but he's still a big-time pass rusher for them off the edge. And on the other side, you got Khaled Kareem. All three of those guys are seniors. Khaled Kareem is more of a, he's more like a Davin Bellamy type guy to me who, who's there to kind of set the edge, but also rush the passer at times. But Aquara and Hayes, those are the two, two premier pass rushers in my opinion, but all three of them can certainly cause issues and can get after the quarterback. So with Isaiah Wilson, I mean, obviously I feel more confident there, but I still have confidence in the guys behind him, whether it's Cade Mays or Jamari Sire. And we have a question, I think next about that. So I want to I I hold off any more explanation until we get that next question. All right. So next, John says the biggest concerning matchup on the field offensively for me is Notre Dame's off outside linebackers against our right tackle with the injury. Are you like me and feel more comfortable with Ben at right guard and Cade at right tackle with them both having starting experience, or would you still rather see Salyer? I think this is where, if Curse on this show, I think he would disagree with me. We've, we talked about this a little bit last week and, and also a little bit uh, on the recap show for the Arkansas State game. And I think right now Curtis is leaning more towards going to Jamari Sire, a little bit more athleticism against uh, some speed rushers off the edge, which I, which I do understand. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. I think all those guys are going to play, as we said, in the Arkansas State recap. But if, it, if you're asking me personally, I would go with experience in this one if Isaiah Wilson can't go. Obviously, ideally, Isaiah Wilson can go, but if he cannot go, I would go with Cade Mays at right tackle and Ben Cleveland at right guard because I just like their experience when you're matched up against three seniors with Jalen Aquara, Dalen Hayes, and Khalid Kareem. I think Sawyer can hold his own. There's no doubt about that. But I just I err on the side of experience in a big-time game like this. And to me, the gap in experience between Cade Mays and Jamari Sawyer, that's wider than the gap in athleticism between those two guys. Again, I do think both guys are going to play. I think there's going to be a little bit of a rotation there. Even if Wilson is not 100%, he'll still probably be out there at times. But if he's not 100%, I expect there to be some rotation there. So I think all of those guys could potentially play, if, if even if Wilson is, is back in the game. But uh, to start off with, I would certainly go with Cade with that experience in Cleveland. Also, a little bit more experience than Jamari Sire. I know Sire got the start against Murray State. But, man, I just don't know if this is the situation to throw him into in his first start in a big-time situation. I know he started against Murray State, like I said. But this is a big-time game. It's a different environment. I think I might go with Cade to start off with. All right. The next two questions are from Cliff. First, do you think UGA will lean as heavily on the running game as it did in South Bend in 2017? Or do you expect a more balanced attack since Jake Fromm is now an, an upperclassman quarterback? Um, you know what? I, I think we're always going to be who we are offensively. I think we're always going to want to establish the run, have that physical 
tough downhill rushing attack. But if you look at our splits through the first three games this year, we actually are a little bit more balanced than we were at any time under Jim Chaney. Now, maybe that is because we have a senior quarterback, or not, well, not a senior quarterback, but an upperclassman quarterback, as Charlie said there, a junior quarterback in his third year as a starter. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at those numbers, like right now through three games, we're actually only running the ball 58% of the time, which is still obviously skewed towards rushing the football. But through the first three years of Kirby Smart's tenure here in Athens, we've never, on a, on a full season scale, never run the ball under 60% of the time. So we are throwing the ball a little bit more. Uh, but again, I go back to just like, we are going to be who we are in this game. This is the kind of game when you have a big time environment like this, you don't come out and try to be fancy. You don't try to come out and finesse a team. You come out and you you just try to establish your identity and be who you are. And especially when you're facing a team we talked about with their, with their pass rush, with Aquara, Hayes, and Khaled Kareem, when that's the strength of their front seven, I think you want to keep them off balance as much as possible. And one way to do that is to stay ahead of the chains, run the football, keep on schedule, and then uh, just make sure you don't get in those third and long situations. So yeah, I absolutely think that we will come out and run the ball like we typically do. But look, we're going to take shots. I mean, we're going to put the ball in Jake Fromm's hands at times, and he's going to have to make plays for us. But look, we're, I just don't think we're ever going to get away from our core identity as a, as a downhill rushing football team. All right. Also, Cliff wants to know, what are the three biggest advantages that give you the confidence in UGA beating Notre Dame this weekend? And what are your three biggest concerns also? Okay, advantages off the top of my head here. I'm going to go with our rush game. Uh, just in general, uh, our, our rush offense versus their rush defense. Right now, if you look at statistically, I know it's a very small sample size, especially with Notre Dame having only played two games and we've only played three. But they are right now 120th nationally in rush defense, getting up 230 yards a game. And guys, we're not talking about uh, them playing elite teams. They played Louisville, and they played New Mexico last week. Those are not great football teams. And right now, they're giving up 230 yards a game on the ground. And on the flip side, we are 8th nationally through three games uh, in rushing offense, rushing for 286 yards a game. So whether it's the running backs, the offensive line, the quarterback, and us in the right position to make plays. Uh, right now, I, I really like that advantage for us uh, running the football against this Notre Dame defense. Another advantage I really like is defensive speed. Uh, Notre Dame's got some good players on the perimeter, but they do not have the speed that we have all throughout our defensive roster. Whether it's, the, whether it's linebacker, inside linebackers, outside linebackers, defensive line, secondary, we just have speed all over the roster. And I think, I'm not sure that's something that Notre Dame has seen to this point. Actually, I know it's something they have not seen to this point this year. And it's not something they see on a regular basis. Maybe Clemson is the closest they've seen in the past year or so. A lot of these guys are veterans for Notre Dame, but they just don't see this kind of speed on a regular basis. So I think that's going to give us a little bit of an advantage. And I think just depth in general. I think if, if this game does come down to like a fourth quarter type game, I think we have the superior depth. And I think that will certainly come into play late in the game if it is close and maybe potentially give us an edge down the stretch. Uh, concerns, I'm going to start with saying Chase Claypool. When, I, when I'm breaking down this Notre Dame offense, Chase Claypool is the playmaker on that offense. I know a lot of people talk about Ian Book. Obviously, he's the quarterback to get a lot of the attention. And Chase Claypool was not their, their feature wide receiver last year. It was Miles Boykin. Claypool was kind of like the, his, his, the Robin to Boykin's Batman. But Claypool is now fully, 100%, a Batman of his own. This guy, is a, he's a, he has the potential to be a dominant wide receiver. I don't know if he's quite there yet. It's too early to say. But when you look at his ability, he's big, tall, fast, physical, good, strong hands. This guy is a playmaker. And uh, we have got to find a way to match up with him. Obviously, we all love Eric Stokes and what he's brought to the table since kind of being inserted the starting lineup late last year. 
But Claypool's a different beast, man. He's a, again, big, tall, physical receiver, bigger than Stokes. And Stokes is going to have his work cut out for him if he's matched up on him. If Tyson Campbell's back, maybe T- Campbell back, might match up a little bit better from a physical standpoint, but we don't know if Campbell's going to be completely healthy. So he's one guy that certainly gives me concerns out there on the perimeter. Another concern I have is we talked a lot about creating havoc. Actually, we talked about creating havoc since going back to to uh, spring practice, really. And that's been emphasis for the fan base, for the football team. We've all heard about this ad nauseum. And we're all excited about what our pass rushers are doing. I went through the numbers uh, on the the uh, recap show earlier in the week about how much we've improved through three games compared to this year with three games last year. It's night and day. But I'm somewhat concerned in a big-time environment like this, especially with some of the young pass rushers, guys like Nolan Smith, Jermaine Johnson, who's not as young but not as experienced, even Adam Anderson, Aziz, who still is a young dude, has not played a ton for us. I'm kind of worried about them getting too hyped up and getting too aggressive rushing the passer because when you have a guy like Ian Book, a quarterback, who's a mobile quarterback, when you get over-aggressive and you over-pursue trying to trying to uh, hunt down the quarterback, that can create those natural rush lanes that Book can just take off, and he can burn us like that. Now, he, he's he's not Lamar Jackson. We're not going to confuse him with, with that type of quarterback, but he's certainly more than capable of burning us if we give him those wide-open rush lanes. So I think... Rush discipline, pass rush discipline is going to be key in this game. And I just have some concerns there. As great as our pass rushers have been through three games, they're young. And I just hope they're disciplined enough to play this game with integrity and play it the right way. And then uh, finally, I would say, you know, offensively, there's been one issue. We talked about the first couple games. It wasn't as much of an issue last week against Arkansas State. But we've kind of seen a few issues in terms of pass protection. We go back to the Vanderbilt game where there were some, some shots that we were trying to dial up down the field, but we just couldn't quite hold the line enough to let those plays develop. And Fromm got some pressure in his face, took a couple shots, and uh, that was against Vanderbilt. So when you're talking about this Notre Dame defense that has some some really good pass rushers, it's going to be really important that we are able to protect Jake Fromm in those obvious passing situations, and ideally just not get into those obvious passing situations, stay ahead of schedule, and we'll be in good shape. But that is at least something that I'm slightly concerned about heading into this matchup. All right. The next question is from an anonymous listener, so kind of mysterious, but thank you for your question. It's not an anonymous listener. This is just me being an idiot and not writing the name down. So whoever oh. this is, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> Forgive me. I know. screwed up. Okay, well, thank you for the question. So this person loves seeing the offense show its abilities in the air as well as on the ground. Which one do you think will be the key to getting the W against Notre Dame? Uh, which one do I think will be key to getting the win against Notre Dame? Oh, man. So t- I mean, they kind of go hand-in-hand hand with how we run our offense. Basically, we use the pass as a constraint to open up the run game and loosen up the box. So they do kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. But I- I'm going to stick with the run game here. I think we're going to need to find a way to stay ahead of the chains. Obviously, we can't run the ball in every first or second down. But... More often than not, we're going to try to run the football in those early standard down situations, and we need to have success doing that so we can stay out of those third and long situations, stay ahead of the chains. Because I'm telling you, the strength of this Notre Dame defense is when it gets third and long and they know that you're throwing the football, those pass rushers can pin their ears back and they can come after you. So we need to do our best to stay out of those situations. And look, I've always been an advocate of trying to throw the ball in early downs to try to switch up some tendencies and keep defenses off balance. And I, and I do think we need to take our shots on early downs, but if we do that too much in a game like this, you run the risk of falling behind uh, the chains, you get a second and 10, third and eight, 
and all of a sudden now those pass rushers can really come after you and they can create a lot of problems for us because as good as as our offensive line has been as we mentioned a second ago maybe one little issue and again this is probably us nitpicking we've talked about this before but one issue that we have seen at times early in the season is uh is protecting quarterback when we're trying to go to those five to seven step drops and letting plays uh develop down the field we're trying to take some vertical shots so i think to me running the football is gonna be a little bit more important than be able to take those shots downfield but i do think they kind of work hand in hand all right now that we've had a good look at stetson bennett over the past two games we've grouped the next few questions together based on the future at the quarterback position. Jesse would like to know, if Fromm leaves and we don't bring in a grad transfer quarterback, would Stetson, Stetson Bennett excuse me, be projected as the starter as of now? Jesse's been impressed with Stetson through the first three games. It's a really interesting question. And a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, no, you're crazy. I would have kind of dismissed this out of hand. But we have seen Stetson uh, in action the past two weeks, and I thought he's performed pretty well. I thought he was good against Murray State. He made a few tough decisions, bad decisions, but you got to remember, it's really the first time this guy was getting out there in this environment at this level with this team. And I thought he played really well against Arkansas State. I know we're talking about Murray State and Arkansas State, but still, he was 9 of 10 for over 100 yards passing against Arkansas State. We didn't see him make those poor decisions. We've seen some athleticism from him. But saying that, as much as I think Stetson can help us out in a pinch, if we got into a situation where we had to have somebody come in late in the game and Fromm goes out and we need somebody to kind of just close out a game, I think Stetson can do that. But I'm not ready to sit here and say, I don't think I've seen enough yet to say that Stetson could go out and win multiple games for us in the SEC. I think if he had to be our starter next year, I mean, you're probably looking at a, a lower level SEC caliber starting quarterback. I don't think, I mean, Charlie, how many teams in the SEC? would be happy with Stetson Bennett as their starter. Uh, Maybe Ole Miss? Yeah. I mean, Matt Corral, I don't know. I might take Matt Corral over Stetson Bennett right now. I mean, he's right. very – Arkansas, maybe? Yeah. I mean, he, he could start for us. He could play for us. I just don't think he's a national championship caliber quarterback. And I hate saying that because I love Stetson Bennett, but I'm trying to be as honest as I can here. And maybe he's better than what we've seen. Again, we've only seen a very small sample size from Stetson Bennett. But while I do think he could help us out in a, in a tough situation, in a pinch there late in the game, and maybe go out and win one or two games for us, if we had to go with him for an entire season, I just, even if the rest of the team around him is national championship caliber, I just don't know if Stetson has that in him right now. So, um, I don't know. We'll see more of him. Hopefully, we don't have to see a ton more of him this year because, you know, the rest of the way, we've got some tough games. And if we see more of Stetson, it probably means something happened to Jake and knock on wood. We obviously don't want that to happen. All right. The next question also is anonymous or Tyler forgot to put the name in, so we apologize. Uh, I mean, I'm all, I'm all over the place, This man. person agrees with, I guess you and Curtis talked about the quarterback situation last week, and if Fromm leaves, we're screwed. <laughs> and with Mathis's brain surgery, there's a good chance he'll never completely heal, and watching Beck struggle in high school is a concern for this person. It says that we definitely need a transfer quarterback in 2020. Thoughts? Yeah, whoever this is. Again, I'm sorry for not putting your name down here. Uh, this just, you know, when I'm sick on medication, my brain's just not working. It never really always works, but working even less efficiently right now. So forgive me. Um, yeah, man. Uh, if, if Rom leaves, I'm concerned. Aren't you, Charlie? Yes, very. I mean, I hope he comes back. But On Twitter, somebody posted about Miami needing a quarterback next year, and it was like, Tua was like, it was, you know, what Tua would say, oh, maybe I should go back to Alabama. And Fromm <laughs> said, maybe I should go back to Georgia. And then it was, uh, what's the guy from Clemson? Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence. He was like, hm, sucks for you too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, so it's, I mean, look, if Fromm leaves, 
I don't feel good about it. I really don't. I want to feel better about it. I'm trying to top myself up. And we talked about stats in that last question, so I don't want to go into detail there again. But Dwan Mathis, we don't even know what we have. Like, we saw a little bit from him in the spring game. He looked good and athletic, but that was just such a small sample size. And you're totally right. I mean, uh, whoever it is asking this question, again, I apologize. We don't. We just have no guarantee that Dwan Mathis will ever come back fully healthy. You yeah, know? we hope that he does. God, absolutely. I'm rooting for this guy, no doubt about it. But... I mean, when you're talking about a brain injury, I mean, we, we were kind of sold that it was always oh, a minor surgery. I'm like, minor brain surgery? Is there such a thing? Like, I don't know. So, I, I mean, for his sake, I mean, just long term, without even talking about football, just I hope he's okay, number one. But he might not ever come back and be able to play. Who knows? Um, and then you're right, Carson Beck, who's the, the four-star recruit that we've had committed to us for a while now, the quarterback position out of Mandarin High School there in the Jacksonville area. He had a really good junior year. Last year, he was Mr. Football in their highest classification state of Florida. Led his team to the state championship after they didn't even make the playoffs. The year before, that losing record, he comes in, he transfers in, and leads them to the state title and the, and the Mr. Football uh, title there uh, in their highest classification in Florida. But he is struggling to start this year. Now, he lost a lot of the playmakers that were around him. So it's been, from what I understand, kind of looking into this a little bit, it's him and very little around him, a lot of inexperience. But uh, he had a really rough game last week. I think he threw for under 100 yards, had like three interceptions in that game. He did struggle a little bit, but you have to understand this is only this guy's second year as a starter at the high school level. He did not play uh, play a ton uh, before last year, really much at all. It came in like that last half of his sophomore season. His team hadn't been doing well, and he kind of led them to a couple victories late in that season. But uh, he's still a guy that's young and learning to play his position. You have to also remember this is a guy that was playing. He was a he was a big time baseball player. He's now completely dedicated himself to football. He's not playing baseball anymore. He's coming here as an early enrollee. He's not playing baseball his senior season of high school. So he's really now become like football is becoming the focus for him for the very first time in his career. What I've seen from this guy in action playing the game of football, the the clips I have seen from him. I've been really impressed. I have not seen anything from him this year. All I've seen are stats and you read newspaper clippings and that kind of thing. I haven't actually seen tape. So it's hard for me to say without actually watching the tape from this year myself. What I saw from him in his junior year, though, I was highly impressed. And Levy said I think he had the potential, if he continued to grow, to become a five-star quarterback. Um, that hasn't happened so far this year. But we'll see uh, as his team continues to grow and those guys get more experience, maybe his numbers will improve. But uh, in terms of needing a, a transfer, a grad transfer quarterback in 2020, even with Carson Beck, I got. I think we might need one anyway, like with Carson Beck coming in. Even if he's ready to play, like you're talking about Stetson Bennett, Carson Beck, and maybe, maybe not Dwan Mathis. We got Nathan Priestley, who was a preferred walk-on. He's right now. He's our third-string quarterback right now um, from the state of California. And so I think a grad transfer quarterback is a very realistic possibility. Uh, and just depending on how how things play out with Dwan Mathis, if Mathis can get clear and come back healthy. I, we probably won't go that route unless it's the right guy kind of falls into our lap. Uh, I wouldn't discount it, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a necessity. If Mathis can't come back, we absolutely have to go out and get a grad transfer because we basically have Stetson Bennett on scholarship and Carson Beck on scholarship, and that ain't going to get the job done. We're going to have to go get somebody. Um, what about uh, – let me throw this out there. Jake, I saw Jake Bentley. Jake Bentley. Huh? I, I see it huh? on the computer screen. Huh? I, mean, that's, I, I don't like it. It's not realistic. But, I mean, think about it. If Ryan Linsky is who South Carolina thinks he's going to be this year – Jake Bentley, I mean, he could he could potentially declare for the draft, but how high is his stock right now? I think Jake Bentley's a, a prime grad transfer. I'm transferring within the SEC? Why not? Eh. People do it. I mean, I know it happens. I don't think that it's likely. but I mean, it, look, would he come to arrive? Would he come to Georgia? Probably not. But, I mean, look at Tavian Feaster. He's a grad transfer running back of South Carolina. Where did he come from? He came from Clemson. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, that kind of thing happens. Uh, look, it's, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, guys, Jake Bentley's coming next year. I'm not. I'm, I'm just – 
throwing the name out there, if you're looking at guys who, who've had a pretty decent track record and might be on the grad transfer market, Jake Bentley's the one that comes to mind right now, but there's bound to be a couple other guys as well. Bentley, I would I would say, is not likely, but just throwing it out there. Okay. All right. Alexander wants to know on the recruiting front, this is more about Carson Beck. Are you concerned at all about Carson Beck's performance in high school? Uh, Alexander knows that he doesn't go to exactly a powerhouse school, but he's looked a little shaky through the first couple of games. Are you still as high on him? Uh, again, I, I don't want to re- I don't want to reiterate uh, too much of what I said in that last question, but uh, yeah, I'm still high on Carson Beck based mm-hmm. on what I've seen. I do want to see his senior tape. Um, you can read clippings, you can look at stats, but that can be very misleading when you're talking about high school because a lot of high school, I mean, if you don't have the guys around you and you're a quarterback, it's going to be really tough to put those numbers up. So I do want to kind of see what we're looking at this year. Um, and Mandarin is not traditionally a powerhouse school. Like I said, you know, before he got there his junior year, before he transferred in, uh, they had a losing record, and then he comes in, leads them to a state title, uh, put up a, a, just a massive performance throughout the entire playoffs that season. You go back and look at his numbers, and it was like crazy. That's pretty much what won him Mr. Football in their highest classification. So, yeah, I'm still really high on him. I think his best football is ahead of him is what I would say. Again, going back just real quick, he was a, primarily a baseball player up until last year, and now he's he, he's – put his focus fully on football. He realizes that's where his future is going to be. And so I think he's only going to get better from here. When he gets in, he's going to be an early enrollee from, from what I understand. He's he's on track to do that. He'll get in here in the spring. He'll get some really solid coaching. And I think he's going to get a lot better uh, by the time next, you know, uh, next fall camp rolls around. I don't know if he's going to be ready to be our starter, you know, this time yeah. next year. But I, I do think he'll be a different quarterback, especially when he has the talent around him that he's going to have once he gets here to Athens. So, I'm, yeah, I'm still high on him. All right. Moving away from the quarterback situation, potential quarterback situation, uh, Drill Dog wants to know, three games into the season, has Pickens become our number one wide receiver? I have to say yes right now, because who else would it be, Charlie? I don't know. I, I mean, like George Pickens. We like George Pickens. I mean, D-Rob, we would have said maybe after the first Pager game. had a good catch. Actually, no, he had a good block. A great block and a great catch. Yes. And I was so happy for him to get that touchdown catch because he earned that. The yes. way he's blocked on the perimeter. He did. There were two, I think, two touchdowns. The one that uh, that Don Blaylock, the little out route that Don Blaylock took up the sideline and scored mm-hmm. that long, like, 60-yard touchdown. Yeah, Blaylock made a nice play. Fromm made a nice read. But that was Cager. Cager mm-hmm. is the one that made that a touch, turned it in from a 10-yard gain to a 60-yard touchdown. That was 100% Lawrence Cager. And then there was the play. I think it was the screen pass down the sideline there. I think it was him. Might have been. Maybe it was Maybe it was Pickens. But it was one of those guys out there when uh, we had the screen pass to Swift down the sideline that he, he took for a long touchdown. But uh, he, he's just doing an outstanding job as a blocker. He's been a great senior leader for us out there, a great veteran presence. I was really excited to see him get that touchdown there. But he hasn't been our number one receiver as like a receiving option. Right. And, and maybe D-Rob was looking at who's going to be that guy after that first game against Vanderbilt. We saw him make some big plays in that game. Uh, but he was hurt last week, didn't play. We didn't see a ton of him. He did catch a touchdown against Murray State. But right now, after the last, after not catching a pass at all, we took some shots to him in that first game against Vanderbilt, but we just couldn't get any of them completed. One of them would have been a touchdown. We got tackled in the end zone, mm-hmm. got the pass interference in the end zone there, got to put the ball at the two-yard line, or uh, three-yard line, whatever. Uh, but he didn't get any catches in that game. But George Pickens has really come on of late, had five catches for almost 90 yards. Uh, this week, had a touchdown catch last week. And, and the highlight reel stuff is what we're talking about. Like, it's just crazy. And he is, he's buying into the blocking. He's going out there. He, and it's not always pretty when he's trying to block. And sometimes he doesn't exactly know what he's trying to do from a technical standpoint. Uh, Kirby's talking about how he's trying to get those knockout blocks. You can certainly see that. But he's a willing blocker, which is big for a guy that young at this stage in his career. So, yeah, yeah right now, I mean, who else is it? I, mean, I think Matt Leonard says that potential, but it hasn't really clicked for him right now. We've had some shots to him. Haven't quite hit those. They're close. We haven't hit them yet. But right now, 
I think, yeah, I think I go with George Pickens. Before we move on, do we know the status for D Rob right now? All we know is that it is a nagging hamstring injury. Kirby didn't seem to, it didn't seem like it's a major deal, but again, I go back, you know, we talked about this on the recap show. You've had some hamstring issues. You know, you're a runner. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about muscle pulls and things like that, strains. No bueno. You just, it, it, it's different for every person. You never, it might be fine one day, the next day you go run for a second and then it's nagging again. So it's, I don't know, it's tough. We'll All see. Right. Now that we're a quarter through the season, can you believe that? We're already. God, please a don't say that. Season. Sorry. Not yet. We have to play this game for a quarter through the season. Now he's right. Feverishly rubbing his head. No, we are a quarter through the season down. through three games. We I are. can't do math. Wow, wow. Not a math student, God, guys. We wait all year for this, and now Anyways, we're just by this class. Josh wants to uh, ask you about one thing that's still glaring at him. He says that Tyson Campbell, and this is in all caps, still has trouble turning his head around. He always seems to be in good position. However, if the route isn't in front of him, he's always looking at the receiver. Thoughts? Um, yes, I I agree that he still has room to improve. However, and Josh, we talked about this a little bit on Twitter. We were kind of going back and forth with this. And I totally respect your thoughts and where you're coming from. And I don't think you're necessarily wrong here. I, I would just say I think he has improved from where he was last year. Last year, he had no idea where the ball was. He had no idea where he was. He didn't know where to look. I mean, the ball was... I mean, it'd be like right beside his head. He's just like running around like he has no idea what's going on. There's a lot of big movements here with Tyler. I mean, it, it was it was baffling to me around. last year how he just could not he just could not figure out where the ball was ever. Like the complete lack of awareness. Never pay attention to the receiver's hands because that guys that's what DBs do. They they look at the receiver's eyes. They look at their hands going up. That's what they watch. And the fact that he can never figure that out, it was just crazy to me. I couldn't figure out how he could not figure that out. But I, I do think he's improved there. He's showing more awareness. He's showing better ball skills. And he's always been a guy that can be there in phase with the receiver. And it, we always talked about how he just needed to become more aware. I think we're seeing more of the more of that. But you're right. I think there, there are some areas we can improve. I do think that he needs to become a, a more physical uh, corner at the line of scrimmage in terms of press man coverage, which is something that Kirby really likes to do. And he needs to improve there. Uh, and I do think he needs to also improve in like, recognizing route combinations because right now what I'm seeing from him is not so much when he's in, when he's in phase with the receiver and like man to man he's got the guy. I think he's showing better awareness there. It's almost like when he's sitting in zone coverages where he's not quite recognizing the route combinations that receivers are throwing at him. So uh, to me, I think he needs to work on that a little bit. And he's a young guy. That's not uncommon for a young player, but I do think he's improved. But he, he's still, he's a young guy. He's got a long way to go. And I don't think you're crazy saying that he still needs to work his head around and make a, make, making plays in the ball maybe a little bit more consistently than he has. But I do think he's improved. All right. Next up, Christopher makes a comment that LeCount is still having trouble tackling. Is there a chance that Scene takes his place by the end of the season? Lewis Scene, who did come out, he started the second half. Uh, normally number eight, we came out there with number 28. Haven't quite figured out exactly what went on there, so if somebody has heard or knows, let me know. Um, but anyway, so Lewis Scene was out there for a lot, most of the time in the second half, most of that second half, and I thought he played really well. We talked about him a little bit on the recap show. And look, I'm so torn on Richard LeCount. You guys know that. And Curtis is probably more so than me. Actually, Curtis is not torn. He just thinks that Richard LeCount is right now not getting the job done. He's been on him for a while. Uh, but LeCount is actually really good in coverage. He's been really good for us. He's one of our highest rated DBs last year in coverage. He covers so much ground. He's got great closing speed. Um, he typically knows where to be. The problem continues to be for him 
It's just simply technique when, ta- when, he, when he's trying to tackle. He does not bring his feet. He leaves his feet. He launches himself at people. And when you leave your feet as a tackler, you lose all your leverage. You lose all your power. And when you're a guy like Richard LeCount, who's not a big dude, when you throw yourself at someone in high school, yes, you can get away with that with big time hits. Everyone goes, ooh, ah, in the stands. You get all the girls at the school. That's great. But we're at the college level going against grown men. You can't just throw yourself at someone. You lose all your power. You will bounce off of them like he does game after game after game. And I thought he'd done better the first two weeks of the season, but we saw it again. We saw it rear its ugly head yet again against Arkansas State a time or two. So, And we get away with it against Arkansas State because they're not going to beat us. But when you do that against a team like Notre Dame or Florida down the road or Texas A&M, those teams, like a missed tackle could potentially cost you the game if it's tight enough. So he's got to clean that up. And I, I don't want to hate on him too much here because the fact is, no one tackles that much in practice anymore. Once we, I mean, Kirby said that last week in one of his press conferences. Once we get in season, we don't tackle in practice. We just don't do it because you can't risk guys getting hurt. You don't have enough time out there in pads anyway. So I think that's part of it, just kind of how practice is, what practice has become at the college level these days. So, I, I mean, it, it's an issue, but uh, man, he's got to clean that up. But if he can just somehow clean that up, it's just a technical issue. Then uh, I do think, I do like him better right now this season than Lewis Seen. But scene's coming on strong, man, and, and Kirby's going to keep using him there to push Richard LeCount, there's no doubt. All right. Next up, Russell says, It's great when he struggles to find a problem with our team headed into the top 10 matchup with game day on site. Name a bigger game that we have played in Athens, if you can. A bigger game in Athens? I don't know. Like, this is, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not an old-timer. I'm not there yet. I'm getting there. But So I don't go back to the 70s, 80s. Um my memory goes back to the early and maybe mid-90s, and we weren't that good back then. So I'm going to go up to the early Richt era, maybe. Um, 2004, LSU. Big-time game, LSU come up to the 2003 National Championship. David Green oh, goes yeah. crazy throwing bombs there. Uh, it was, that was an incredible sight. They had great seats for that game. Um, yeah, that was a big one because they were coming off that national title, and we, we blissed them 40-something to 14, maybe. And David Green was just throwing fade after fade for a touchdown in that game. Um, LSU 2013 was also a big win, if I remember correctly. There's a lot of hype leading in that game. Um, and South Carolina that same year, too. And uh, Alabama 2015, there's a lot of hype leading into that game, right? The monsoon game that yes. did not turn well, out so well that for was us. Awful. I mean, the game turned out terrible for us, but the hype leading up to that game, I mean, that was a that was a tough ticket. Uh, I was concerned about that game. Everybody was really excited, and I oh, was just. We kind weren't of ready. We weren't ready. We were not ready. Obviously, we were not ready for that game. So, I mean, those are the three that come to mind in terms of a hype perspective, but like, there's nothing that comes close to the Star Dame game, right? Like, the hype has been building since 2017 for yeah, this game. I guess. It was more exciting going to Notre Dame. No, I'm talking about, but I'm talking in Sanford Stadium. Yeah, I know, but it was still really. Oh, I'm, I, I would rate like you. You and I are on the same page here. We like going to those those big event games more yeah. than we like those teams coming here. It's great when they come here, but like, I guess I can say, yeah, I was the, I was at, I was in Sanford Stadium when Notre Dame came to town for the one time ever. But going to South Bend was inc- the best experience maybe ever. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not looking forward to all the traffic and all the extra people in town. Oh my god, I'm I'm not even sure I'm gonna get. It might take me 45 minutes to get home from work two miles away. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be tough. Just walk. I, yeah, I don't even know if I'm going to get, like, normally I got to go downtown Friday night before the game, but I don't even know, man. It's going to be... They're saying, like, I saw an estimate today. I don't know how true this is. They're saying, like, the university is expecting between 150 to 250,000 extra people here in Athens over the weekend. Well, we Googled That's it last crazy. weekend, and it was, like, an extra 100,000 people come into town for the game. That doesn't mean they go to the game. 
yeah. but they're sitting in a parking lot or they're coming and tailgating or they're oh going to restaurants and it's all the hoopla. So I don't know. Everybody, let's just remember to treat the Notre Dame fans with the grace that they treated us with or how they treated us and please respect our town. <laughs> It might cost me $35 to get from my house to downtown by, by taking Uber. Okay, with I the demand, okay. with the price surges. I mean, Again, Jesus Christ. Ooh. Just ride your bike or walk. I'm not riding my It's like 98 degrees outside. Can you ride a bike? I can. Yes, I can ride a freaking bike. I've been a long time and I don't ride a bike. Because who wants to ride a bike? It's 98 degrees. Well, I mean, that's true, but still, it's quick mode of transportation. No, no, not happening. Anyways, all right, we have one more question. Zach says that he likes the way we're using James Cook, and it seems like we're trying to give opposing defenses something to think about. What do you think? Yeah, Zach, I, I totally agree, man. I'm actually waiting for us to unleash James Cook. Um, we've really done one of two things with him. We've put, we, we basically run him that jet sweep motion, hand him the ball, or we kind of run him in that arc, what I call arc motion behind the quarterback, and then we throw a, like a, basically a little screen pass to him, right? Those are the two ways that we're primarily getting him the ball right now. And both of those things, there are a ton of different things that we can do off of those packages, off of those motions and those looks, and we haven't used them yet because we haven't had to use them yet. So I'm very interested to see what we have in store, maybe for Notre Dame, but maybe not for Notre Dame. But I do think we're setting something up uh, later on down the road. There's no doubt because we keep using this. It's the same action, whether it's that flat jet sweep action or kind of that arc action behind the quarterback. Those are the two actions we get James Cook involved in right now, and we're doing the same thing. There's two things we're doing off of them, and I'm very curious. I mean, I know there's more to that right now. We have a lot of different things, a lot of variations that, that we can use. Uh, we just haven't seen it yet, so maybe this is the week where we unveil that, uh, but I'm with you, Zach. I, Zach, I've actually been waiting to see that. I'm actually glad we haven't unveiled it yet because they're gonna, they're, there are going to be games later on this season, maybe as early as this week, where we're going to have to use some of those plays, and uh, it'll be, it might be a sight to see once we actually see them unveiled. All right. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us. And I actually made it. My voice, you can hear me now, is like about to... It's fading. Yeah, it's very much fading. So I made it through the show. I was hopeful I'd be able to make it through the show. For a minute there, I thought I'd have to take a water break and, and replenish my voice. But uh, we made it. I appreciate you guys sticking with me. I know it doesn't sound great with my voice, but I didn't want to leave you guys hanging. We've got a big-time game coming up this week against Notre Dame. So I uh, hope it wasn't too bad. But uh, we'll be back with you guys later this week. We'll be uh, breaking down this Notre Dame game from top to bottom every which way imaginable. Curtis will be back on that show for our game preview show. And then Charlie will be back at the end of the week for our week four picks of the week. So for Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs. Go dogs.